Welcome to the Anchor Church Podcast. We are so glad you're here. For more content and upcoming events, visit anchorchurchcsra.com. All right, well, as you're seated, uh, turn with me in your copy of God's Word to Psalm 139. Yeah, I know what you're thinking. We're in an Acts series. What are you doing, man? Uh, well, we were supposed to have a, a guest come in tonight and preach, um, but I'm going to ask you to pray for my friend Dusty Womack. He's a discipleship pastor at Quest Church up the road in Grovetown, and um, Dusty's one of our favorite men of the Lord to have uh, just, man, just a faithful brother to come and preach the word. Uh, but Dusty had a mild heart attack last week. He's having a, a stint put in tomorrow. He's just having some uh, heart issues right now. And so pray for Dusty, and we'll have him back here soon. And um, I just spent a whole weekend camping with the guys, and so I had a special sermon prepared. Garrett, thank you. Um, hey, can we, just, can we just encourage our brother Garrett here for leading us in worship? Come on. I know the, the glory goes to God, but Garrett, thank you, man. Thank you so much for leading us tonight. Um, always blessed by your leadership. Um, yeah, so we were looking forward to having Dusty, but I, you know, God, God works in all situations and all details. And I just, I'm choosing to believe that this, that this sermon was for such a time as this. And I believe that God brought you here to hear this word. And so Psalm 139, I don't know if you've ever read this psalm before, but this psalm is one of my absolute favorites, and I could not be more excited to preach this to you tonight. And here's what we want you to know tonight, that God created you for a relationship with him. If you hear nothing else I say, please know that, that God is not only real, but he made you in his image so that you would know him. And so I hope that throughout this psalm that you would just simply know that even though not all of us always feel known, sometimes we feel very alone and very isolated. And I just want you guys to know that you are known by God. And we want you to be known in Christian community as well. I mean, that's the whole reason why we did the, the, the meet and greet moment we did a minute ago. It wasn't just for a transition. We want to make it clear that at Anchor Church, this is not a production. And at a lot of churches, the worship service has become a production. This is an opportunity to get to know one another. We want you to feel at home here at Anchor. We also want you to know that we care who you are and we want to get to know you. And um, I love seeing so many new faces in the house tonight. Um, I love that over the past couple weeks, I mean, we just want to, I'm just going to brag on Jesus for a moment. Uh, we've had our two highest attendances the past two weeks as a church plant. So can, can we give glory to the Lord for that? Come on. Yeah. And half our church, uh, if you're, um, there are several of you who are new, so I'll just share with you that half our church is on the other side of the building. Uh, they're kids. Uh, we see almost 30 check-ins a week, and then we need a lot of adults uh, to run a thriving kids ministry. And so uh, this is a church that loves your children and your children right now. If you brought children tonight, I promise you, promise you a thousand percent, they're being taught the word of God and they're hearing the gospel every single week. And they are loved. And because we have, I mean, the best kids volunteers in town. I'll just say it. Uh, they are absolutely amazing. And so Psalm 139, how many of you guys ever played dominoes? Any of you guys domino? I mean, like the real game dominoes, not the pizza, like the actual game, all right? Um, I, I learned this game at a senior adult retreat. I led some senior adult retreats when, when I was a student pastor. I got asked to drive the church bus to Pigeon Forge, South Carolina, or sorry, Pigeon Forge, that's, I don't, I don't think that's the place. Sorry, I've had like camping sleep this weekend, so this is gonna be an interesting sermon. Uh, Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, 
And we went up there to some, some retreat center where uh, mostly senior saints hang out. And they taught me dominoes because I'd never been taught before. And it was a lot of fun. And um, while I don't remember a lot of the rules of the game, because that was a long time ago and I haven't played it since, I'm glad some of you enjoy it. What I do know about dominoes, my favorite version probably is what you see on YouTube where they set up the, the giant domino courses. You know, it's like a whole uh, school gym just full of dominoes. And there's all these different ways they set them up. But we all know the domino effect, right? You knock one domino down, it bumps into another, and before you know it, there's a chain reaction. And, you know, wrong ideas about God, wrong ideas about God will ultimately lead to a wrong life. And that wrong life will be on the wrong path. And then that will lead you to the wrong destination. Our heart tonight is that you'd be on the right path, headed towards the right destination. We can write this down. If you're taking notes tonight, just know simply this. Bad theology hurts people. Bad theology hurts people. It really does. Some of you have been hurt by bad theology. Some of you have experienced uh, what has been coined now as church hurt. It's kind of a big conversation. I've been, I've been hurt by the church too, I promise. And that's because the church is full of imperfect people who need a savior. And we're actually gonna do a whole series in the future. We already have the graphics created and everything. We're planning it right now. We're gonna have a whole series on church hurt uh, coming up pretty soon. So if, that, if that's a situation you've walked through before, we want you to find healing in that. So uh, keep that in mind as we move forward. But we wanna get on the same page tonight with good theology. And we want to discover four truths about God that lead to four corresponding truths about us. I'll say that one more time. We wanna learn about the Lord so that we can learn about ourselves, ultimately for God's glory. So let's write this first one down. This is just a simple, glorious truth that David writes in Psalm 139 is this, that God knows us intimately. God knows every one of us in the room intimately. How, how many of you would say there's somebody that knows you on an intimate level in your life? Maybe you're sitting next to him right now. Just tell him that you, you know, just kind of give him a little nudge there. It's you, it's you, baby. All right. You know, I don't know how many things you know about them. I bet it's a lot. And you know, it gives us peace to be known, amen? Does he, does he give you peace that someone knows, like, you know, those juicy things that nobody else knows, even the embarrassing things, even the things that you think would, would, would rub someone the wrong way or make someone think that you're repulsive, but, they just, but, but you're loved anyway, all right? And my wife knows all the weird things about me. She knows that, uh, that when I um, want to be comfortable, I, I will cross my big toe and my index toe like this. And none of you can see it, but it happens. And she knows that. She knows all that weird stuff about me, and yet she still loves me. And it's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing to be known. It's an amazing thing to be loved. And like I said earlier, we're wired for a relationship, a genuine friendship, romantic relationships that would lead to a marriage. We desire to be known. And the proper context for a relationship with God is that we have to understand that we are known completely. Let's get into verse one of Psalm 139. Lord, that's God's covenant name, Yahweh, because God's a relational God. Lord, you have, what's that word there? You have searched me and known me. Man, that's a good truth right there. God has searched you. He searched you. All the hidden caverns of your soul, God knows every bit of that. You know when I sit down, when I stand up, you understand my thoughts from far away. The verb search, if we get down to the Hebrew, 
means to examine with pain and care. Think about like a, a miner going deep into a cave mining for gold or a surveyor exploring land or an investigator investigating a legal case. This is like the painstaking care that goes into a, a search like that. That is how well God knows you. And can I just encourage you with something? It's not to get you. It's not so he can catch you doing something wrong or anything like that. I know sometimes maybe some of us in the room have a picture of, of, of God you know, with his glasses way down on his nose and he's got his clipboard here and he's, he's waiting for you to, to go out of bounds or waiting on you to make a mistake. God's not like that at all. He's like the most loving father you could imagine. Now, it was kind of hard for me for a while to understand because I didn't really have a dad growing up. So I, didn't, I couldn't just think of my dad and go, yeah, he's like that because my dad abandoned us. So for some of you in the room, maybe that's how you feel about God because that's your experience with a father. But I can tell you that not only is God perfect and not only God loves you and wants a relationship with you, but he has searched you and known you and he has examined you with, with deep care and he loves you so much. Let's keep on going into verse three. You observe my travels and my rest. You're aware of all my ways. How many? All my ways. Oh man, okay. God knows all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know about it, Lord. You have encircled me. And in fact, I want you to underline that word in your Bible. It's okay to underline your Bible. Encircled. We're gonna come back to that in a second. You have encircled me. You have placed your hand upon me. Parents, come on, you, you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes you place a hand upon your child and, it, and it's that encouraging hand of, hey, it's gonna be okay. And sometimes you place that hand upon your child and they know they messed up. You know, it's like, oh, that's the heavy hand. That's the, but, it, but both are love, amen? And, and God does the same thing to us. He'll put that loving hand on you. Hey, it's okay. And then, hey, um, <clears throat> yeah, we need to talk about that. And both are love. This wondrous knowledge, what wondrous knowledge? Everything we've just said. This wondrous knowledge is beyond me and you. It is lofty. I am unable to reach it. So if you have trouble wrapping your mind around God's love for you, his, his painstaking care for you, his deep, deep love for you, that's okay because we're not meant to understand completely. In fact, Paul thinks about this. He meditates on it. He says, Lord, this is Ephesians 3. He says, how, how high? How deep, how wide is your love for me, oh God? It's beyond our understanding. God knows our actions, our thoughts, our motives, our words, where we're at, where we're not at, everything. And you know, this is different. David is writing this Psalm, number one, the author is David. Number two, he's drawn a distinction between the way that pagans viewed their little G gods, their false gods, see, all the gods of the pagans, or even if you take the Romans, the Greeks, wherever, whatever false gods you're thinking of, those gods don't, didn't really care about people. The false gods of paganism were indifferent to men and women. More like we would think of deism, right? The, the teaching that the divine watchmaker just wound everything up and sent it into being and then nothing more than that. But no, David knew that the true God, the one true God, Yahweh, the first word of the Psalm, Lord, capital L-O-R-D, the covenant name of God, he uses that because he wants us to know that God has searched and known each man and woman made in his image. All right, that word encircled, I told you we're coming back to it, right? 
All right, so that word you underline in your Bible that you wrote down in your notes, this means surrounded. Surrounded, you encircled me, you hem me in. Maybe, maybe a, a more formal translation in your lap says something like this, you hem me in behind and before, you lay your hand upon me. This Hebrew word encircled means to guard a valuable object. So what's in your safe at your home? What's valuable? You gotta punch in a digital code to get it out. Or maybe it's in your underwear drawer because that's where all the valuables go, right? In that top drawer. Wherever it is, whatever it is, whatever you send, this is, this is how God views it. He sees you. Guys, please don't miss this. He values you. You are valuable. I want you to hear that this evening. I want you to receive it. And I know that some of you are sitting there thinking, I just don't feel that way. I don't feel valuable for a variety of reasons. But I just want you to know that, A, and I'm sure this is something that you do know, and it's something that I've discovered in my life too, we don't always feel the truth, right? And so I have to remind you the truth tonight. You are known, you are loved, and you are valued by God. No matter what you've done, no matter what mistake you made, no matter how long ago it was, no matter what you did 10 minutes ago or 10 years ago, you are valued. You encircle me, oh God. What did Adam and Eve do when they were found out in the garden? Remember Genesis 3, the first sin ever? What was Adam and Eve's response? They hid. They were ashamed. That's what sin does in our life. It makes us, it makes us want to hide. It makes us want to, want to go away from God. And we can't play hide and seek with God. I know we play it as a fun game. In fact, my kids... Um, it didn't take long before they thought they could hide from me, but they didn't know that dad knows all the good hiding spots. I knew every hiding spot. I remember my youngest, Ellis, he would love to wrap up in the curtain like a burrito. And it would make me a nervous wreck because I knew I spent an hour trying to get that curtain rod straight. And he's just wrapped up in it. And he's convinced he is completely invisible. There's, there's no way that I can see him, but I'm just like, curtain, got it. Dad knows all the hiding spots. And I just wanna encourage you, no matter where you're at in your relationship tonight, no matter what mistakes you've made, no matter how close or far you feel from God, you cannot hide from him. And you were never meant to hide from him. In fact, the safest place you can be is right at his feet. Because guess what? He already knows you. He already, he already knows everything before we even pray. So why should we pray? Well, that's another sermon for another time. But let me encourage you with this. We pray not just to get things from God, but we pray for his glory. We pray to know him better. We pray to deepen that relationship. And so let's get into the second truth. Remember, we're learning about God so we can learn about us. So let's get into the second truth. And here it is. God is with us constantly. That's what we just said, right? God is with us constantly. We can't hide from him. Let's see what David says in verse seven of Psalm 139. And he's asking some rhetorical question. This is the literary advice of rhetoric. Here we go. Where can I go to escape your spirit? That's the first question. Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I live at the eastern horizon or settle at the western limits, even there, you can underline those words too, even there, 
even there, your hand will lead me. Your right hand, that's God's strong hand, his strong arm of salvation. Your right hand will hold on to me. Oh, that's a good word. Does this sound like shepherd language to anybody in the room? It's because a guy named David wrote it. He was a shepherd and he knew that God himself is the good shepherd. And can I encourage you with one more thing tonight? He will hold on to you. God will not let go of you. He loves you too much. You're too valuable. He encircles you with his presence. You cannot get away from him. Even if you try to run like Jonah, 500 miles in the wrong direction, he will, he will find you, not in the sense that he has to look for you, but he will meet you right there. God is always with you. Let's keep going. What does he say? Even there, your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me because that's the lies we believe sometimes. We believe the false surely's. And the light around me will be night. Verse 12, even then the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. We see this other place in scripture, Joshua 1.5. God says to Joshua, he's emboldening him. He says, Joshua, you gotta be strong and courageous because I've got a big mission for you. I know know you're following Moses and that's a hard job to follow Moses, the the great leader, Moses. And God says these words to Joshua, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will never quit on you. The highest highs and the lowest lows. Jesus gives us the great commission. He said, go, make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And then the last part, we usually forget this part. It's, it's the part that without all the other stuff isn't quite as fantastic. Lo, I am with you always because his presence is our power, friends. Your level of awareness of God's presence with you throughout the day will embolden you to live for him in a very different way than if we are not aware of his presence. It's a worship song that came out a decade ago that I can think of, it's called Holy Spirit. And I remember the bridge of that song. Let us become more aware of your presence. Let us experience the glory of your goodness. Have you guys heard this song before? Yeah, let us become, and they, they just repeat it over and over again. Why? Because we forget, <laughs> we forget he's with us. It's kind of a crazy thing to forget, but we all do it, myself included. And so we see these amazing words in a section of scripture. Lead me, God, hold on to me. Even the night, God's presence with David was like a constant light in the darkness, just like the pillar of cloud illuminated Israel in the wilderness, pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. So God's presence leads us. But here's the third wonderful truth about God. Ready, write this down. God made us. Wonderfully. God made us wonderfully. I want us to look at verse 13 together. Look at verse 13 of Psalm 139. For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous, and I know this very well. Verse 15, my bones were not hidden from you. When I was made in secret, when I was formed down in the depths of the earth, that's a metaphor for the mother's womb, by the way. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. 
Wrap your mind around that for a moment. Before you even had a form, God saw you. He knew you, everything about you. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. This is, um, this is probably my favorite instrument. I love it. This is a guitar. As most of you knew, I'm sure you knew that, but you know, guitars are either made in a factory or they're either made by hand. Have you guys heard this before with music instruments? Like they're either mass produced in a factory or they're made by hand. And about, oh, let's see, gosh, it's close to two decades ago, I had an opportunity to play a handmade guitar. And can I just tell you the difference is astounding between a handmade instrument and one that's pumped out of a machine in a factory. It's no different than other products, right? Handmade, it shows the intentionality put into it. They're typically more expensive, right? I want you to know this evening that you are handmade by God. Yes, God didn't literally make you. It is a metaphor. God creates with his words, the scriptures teach us. He just speaks things into existence. That's how powerful he is. But he formed you. He custom made you. As our creator, you were handcrafted. In fact, this word embroidered in the scriptures, our English word embroidered. Did you guys notice that one as we were uh, reading through? You knit me together. It's verse 13. You knit me together. You embroidered me together. That's what that Hebrew word means, custom made. But verse 14 reminds us of, of this fabulous doctrine of the imago Dei. That's Latin for image of God. You are made in his image, made to look like him, to be like him. That's why the scriptures say that God tells us, be holy for I am holy. To imitate Ephesians 5.1, therefore be imitators of God because we're like little mirrors made to reflect his glory. That's why he says, we are the light of the world. Why? Well, we're not the source of the light. It's Christ in us and through us, and we just simply reflect and shine that light that he would be glorified. And what's the only appropriate response to this, friends? It's what David says. You knew my days before they began. And the only appropriate response is in verse 17 here. God, how precious your thoughts are to me, how vast their sum is. David says, I will praise you. Verse 18, if I counted them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. When I wake up, I am still with you. How precious your thoughts are to me, oh God. David was filled with amazement and adoration at considering God's thoughts. And you know, that's what we do when we read, when, when we read our Bibles. We're reading the thoughts of God. Have you thought about that lately? It's not just the verse of the day. It's not just what's on coffee cups and t-shirts. I mean, this is... This is God's love letter to us. I know sometimes we say the Bible's an instruction manual. I don't know about you, but I could not think of something I'd wanna read less than an instruction manual. I typically don't read the instruction manuals. That's why my things break. I probably should read more of them. This is a love letter to you, to me, to all of mankind throughout human history, but really, it's not only that. It's, it's, a, it's a wonderful story about not, a, not really ultimately about us, ultimately about God. And he gets the glory for it all. But just a couple more things. I don't know if you've 
received a note lately. How many of you guys like to write your sweetheart a note? Come on, it's, a, it's okay to admit it in the room. Are any of you guys note writers? Anybody? Anybody? No, okay, all right, we, we, we need to work on that, all right? Promise you, no, no one will get mad at you for it, it will, especially if you're, you know, if you're married or dating in the room, you're welcome, all right? Write that, write that note. I got one last week, and it was a game changer. I needed, and I didn't simply need a note, it was the words that were on the page. And I received a gift from my wife, but the words that were on that page were so timely, and it was like four sentences. And it was just the simple, honest truth that I needed to hear in that moment. And it strengthened me. It strengthened me. It made a huge difference in my week. And that is exactly, that's, that mirrors what God wants to do for you daily in his word. Did you know that before you even go and open up the Bible, before that devotion book tells you to go there, before you go to Bible study and you open up the, uh, many of the ladies are going through 1 John right now and you go to read 1 John. Before you even go there, God already knows where you need to be. He knows exactly how to communicate his word. See, this seems static to us, doesn't it? The word's on a page. But can I tell you something? God's word is not static. Hear me tonight. God's word, what does Hebrews 4 say? Come on. Living, active, not passive, living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, come on, and goes into our soul and rightly divide, like splits us open sometimes, but not in a, but not in a, I'm gonna get you way, in a, in a loving way, in a way that calls us to restoration and repentance and a new life in Christ. And that leads us to our final truth tonight. And it's this. God judges righteously. That's right, we're gonna close out about the judgment of God. And I'm sad to report to you tonight that there are, there are some within the kingdom family that have wrongly chosen to skip over passages like this. I've heard Psalms before, preached before, and when you get to this section coming up, they go, oh, well, that's, well that sounds negative. We're, we're gonna leave that out. I, I, I will promise you something as sincere as I can be tonight, we will preach the whole counsel of God's word at Anchor Church. We're not trying to be better than anybody. I'm not saying that in a prideful way or anything like that. We just wanna be honest. We want to look at all of God's word. We wanna preach this whole psalm because we would miss something very important tonight. And so what do we see? We see a longing for righteousness and justice. This is what David does over and over again. Have you guys noticed this? For those of you that have read several Psalms, if you haven't, I invite you to read the Psalms of David more. Maybe start with Psalm 23, Psalm 51, some of the more familiar ones, or Psalm 1. It's one of my favorites. The righteous man. Blessed is the one that meditates on the word of God and so forth. So David is always longing for righteousness and justice. Let's just read these verses together. Can we get into verse 19 together? And David's just being honest with the Lord. He says, God, if you would kill the wicked, bloodthirsty men, stay away from me, who invoke you deceitfully. Your enemies swear by you falsely. Lord, don't I hate those who hate you and detest those who rebel against you? I hate them with extreme hatred. I consider them my enemies. David abruptly shifts from a spirit of wonder and adoration to this intense prayer against the wicked. 
And these are difficult to navigate sometimes. I mean, he said, I mean, he didn't just say he doesn't like, you know, well, God, I love them, but I don't really like them, and I'm just kind of struggling right now. He says, I hate them with extreme hatred. So what do we do with that? Well, let's talk about it for a moment. He's talking about these wicked and bloodthirsty men. And let's back up for a second. Whenever we come to a difficult passage in Scripture, we have to say, what is really going on here? Why would David say, why would the Holy Spirit inspire David? Because we, we believe that the Holy Spirit is ultimately the author of Scripture. That's, that's what we teach doctrinally here. That what could David have been inspired to write down by the Holy Spirit? And here's a truth you can write down tonight. It's not gonna come up on the screen. I'll, I'll, I'll say it a couple of times. David's adoration filled him with a zeal for God's honor. David's adoration, his love for the Lord, it filled him with a zeal for God's honor. David was undeniably God's advocate. He wanted to be on God's side and therefore even allowed himself to hate those who hated God. In fact, David boasted, I hate them with, some translations say, a, a, a righteous hatred, a perfect hatred regarding them as enemies. What David is not doing is establishing some kind of petty grudge. What he's not saying uh, is anything, and, and by the way, the response to a psalm like this isn't, okay, cool, I'm just gonna get on Facebook and tell all the people that I hate them and I hate them with extreme hatred and all this. What he's saying, guys, I mean, it's really simple. Let's just break it down. I hate evil. You ever read the news and, and just read the wickedness that is, that comes across our feeds every day and just go, man, man I hate that. That murder that was committed, the terrorism that just came across a lot of our feeds on the other side of the world. Man, I hate that. I hate that that's happening. And yes, Jesus calls us to love our enemies. He absolutely does. But we can get tangled up in should we display hate like David is talking about? Can I just give you some clear instruction? This is not a license to go and just start expressing hatred for whoever we don't like. This is not God's intention from this word. What David is doing, again, just to reiterate, he has a zeal and a passion for God's righteousness. And what he says, ultimately, he says, God, I agree with you. you catch that? God, I agree with you on what's good. And I agree with you on what is evil. And Lord, I hate the things you hate. I love the things you love. What is following Christ like? It's like when God changes your appetite to love the things that he loves, to hate the things that he hates. What does God hate? Just look, just look at Psalm 5 sometime. He abhors the evildoer. But the same evildoers that he abhors he came and died for. He loves them. This isn't a petty hatred. This isn't an imperfect human hatred. This is a, God, God expresses attributes in his character. I know this is kind of deep to get, but I, 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 I wanna camp out here for a second. This is super important. Let's use jealousy as an example. Is it a good thing for us to be jealous? The answer is no, <laughs> it, it is not. Is God jealous? The scriptures say he is. He's a jealous God. Is God jealous in a petty and, and meaningless kind of way? No, he lo love, perfect love brings about a perfect and righteous jealousy. 
He's jealous for you and for me because there are dark things that try to pull us away from him. So in that sense, he is jealous. His hatred works the exact same way. God is holy. His number one attribute is not his love. His number one mentioned attribute in scripture is his holiness. He's so holy that we cannot imagine how perfect he is. But at the same time, we cannot imagine how deep his hatred is for evil. We can't wrap our minds around it. We can't wrap our minds around it. And so David struggles to wrap his mind around it. And he just says, God, simply put, I agree with you about evil. I want to love the things that are good. I want to hate the things that are evil. But here's the last part tonight. Can we, can we just read these last two verses together? And this is going to sound familiar to you. You probably have read these before. If not, I want to introduce you to two of my favorite verses in all the Bible. And here it is. David prays. And this can be your prayer tonight. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there be any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. David comes to the God of perfect knowledge, constant presence, God of love, and he knows that God can be trusted to search him and know him at the deepest levels. It's also an admission of the fact that God knew David better than David even knew himself. And God knows you better than even you know yourself or your best friend or your spouse or whoever knows you the best. God knows you better. He says, Lord, take your holy light. And it's, it's kind of like radar, friends. It's like God takes his holy radar and he just exposes the parts of us that sometimes we don't wanna admit they're there. Sometimes we don't wanna acknowledge that these things are real, that we really are struggling with the things because unfortunately, the best advice some of us have been given is just ignore it. Ignore those feelings, ignore that, and it'll just go away. Just overlook, we'll just sweep it under the rug. That's not what David's saying here. He's saying, God, I need you to search me. You know me, so God, search me, test me. Have you asked God to test you lately? I wanna invite you to that tonight. Say, God, test me. I know, I know that's a scary thing to pray. God, please test me. But what is God doing? Well, let's use the bigger word, assessment. God is assessing your heart. He's like a loving surgeon. What, is, what does a surgeon have to do before he can do surgery? He's gotta do a consult, right? We have to make a diagnosis. We have to see what the problem is. We have to consult and talk about the surgery. And then that loving, caring surgeon takes his scalpel, which yes, that incision does not feel good, Many times we're under during the incision. We're under anesthesia, thank goodness. But God takes his holy scalpel, which we've already said is his word and his truth, and he pulls out of us the things that don't belong. And maybe tonight, this is my, this is my simple invitation to you. Pray to God in this moment, because we all have a response to me. This is our response time. Garrett, Garrett's gonna lead us in a song in a moment. I wanna invite you. Ask God to remove whatever does not belong out of your life. I don't know what that is tonight, but I can guarantee you that God can remove it. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's, maybe it's a fear of something. The Bible says God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. God wants to take that fear out of you and fill you with boldness. Maybe what's inside your heart tonight is a lack of surrender to him, is a rebellion against God. 
Maybe you've been very churched, but maybe you haven't really started a relationship with Jesus Christ. You haven't repented of your sin and confessed your belief in him. We invite you tonight to do that. Can I tell you something? Many years in my life, this is for someone that needs to start a relationship with Jesus tonight. There were many years in my life where I was fine with Jesus being my savior. You know what I mean? I was fine with him saving me from my sin. Because I knew I was a sinner. I had no problem with that part. I know I mess up, I make mistakes daily. I know it, I don't line up with God's word. And I need forgiveness. So I was fine with the savior part. But you know what part I struggled with for 20 years of my life? Lord. Jesus being the Lord in my life. Because you know what that meant? That I was going to have to change. I'd have to do things I didn't want to do. That would have a king issuing a decree over my life that would conflict with what Brandon wants. Maybe that's you tonight. Maybe you are afraid to take that first step of following Jesus because you know if you say yes to him, then that's gonna have to happen. And I just wanna tell you tonight, whatever that is, whatever that next step that would have to happen if you started following Jesus, I can promise you it is always worth it. Following Jesus is never easy. He never promised it was easy. He made it simple, but he did not make it easy. He said, if you wanna follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And that's the invitation to you tonight. We invite you to follow Jesus. Repent of your sin. Just tell God, I'm, I'm sorry, Lord. I'm a sinner, I know it, and I need your grace and forgiveness. Receive his grace and mercy into your heart tonight because that's why he died on the cross for you because he wanted you to be forgiven of your sins. Not any works that we could bring to the table, but purely by his grace gift to us. And that through repentance and faith, we could be restored. You could leave Anchor Church tonight with a new heart, heart of flesh that feels, that really senses God's word. And you can have a real relationship with the God that knows you so well, that says you are loved and valuable and treasured. So we all have a response to make tonight. I wanna invite you to stand with me if you would. And we're gonna pray together. We're gonna prepare our hearts for worship, for response. Those words we read a minute ago, just pray with me now. Lord, search us. Search us, God. Know our hearts, Lord. Test us, Lord. All our concerns, God, we bring them to you tonight. See if there be any hidden way within us, Lord, the enemy is so crafty and so deceptive and God, we need truth. We desperately need to just see reality in the next steps that you have for us. God, speak a word to every heart tonight, whether it's someone that needs to follow you or, or be saved by you for the first time in their life to start a relationship with you that they would turn from their sin and trust in you. Maybe someone that needs to repent of sin tonight that's holding them back in their relationship. Lord, maybe they, maybe they believe and maybe they followed you, Lord, but there's something entangling them right now and keeping them from growing spiritually. I pray that repentance would happen in this place. Maybe someone needs healing tonight, Lord. I pray that they would cry out to the God that heals, to the God who saves and they would say, Lord, heal me. Lord, heal my family member, spiritually or physically, and God, that we would trust you with the results, knowing that you are sovereign.
knowing that your plan is better than life itself. Lord, see if there be any offensive way within us, any way that we, would, that we get us off track. And Lord, lead us in the everlasting way. Lead us in the way we should go. And I lift all this up in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit anchorchurchcsra.com or follow us on social media at anchorchurchcsra.com.